0: Thank you for joining us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to stimulate thought, expand consciousness, and encourage community. I say encourage community because I believe that the vast majority of we humans are friendly tribal animals. And when we live in small enough communities in which we know each person by name or at minimum by face, we are collaborative enough to sustain everyone with the bare essentials of nutritious food, warm shelter, health care, and education provided with dignity, respect, kindness, and love. Today on mind, body health, and politics, our guest will be Charlie Winninger, psychoanalyst and mental health counselor specializing in relationships and communication skills. We'll be talking about his new book Listening to Ecstasy. you're going to want to hear this very interesting interview. You can call or text in during the program six five o tally ho that's six five o Tally-ho, but first, our news and notes in psychology and medicine. Last week, I described tactics that our president or president-elect Joe Biden could use to fight COVID while keeping the national economy wide open. This week, I will describe the rationale and tactics for continuing our present system, which utilizes zoned opening combined with partial closing of the economy. The value of closing segments of the country is that closings slow down the spread of the virus and therefore allow hospitals to have a much better chance of functioning without getting overrun with COVID patients. When hospitals can provide and function normally, both the COVID patients and all other hospitalized patients receive better treatment, which can literally save lives. Secondly, partial close down allows more time for research to approve, manufacture, and distribute vaccines before the hospitals are overrun. While the risk of keeping the economy open is that the the virus spreads faster, resulting in more hospitalizations, and overrun hospitalizations risk the deaths of, of more people. The risk of closing the economy is the huge loss of jobs and the devastating financial effects, especially in the lower end of the income spectrum. Everybody knows that those at the top are making even more money during the pandemic, and those at the lower half or more are hurting and hurting very much. Some people hold the position that the economic fallout from even zoned close downs will eventually result in even more deaths than keeping the economy open. We are caught between a rock and a hard place because both tactics result in injury, hardship, and death. One compromise we might consider is to allow people below a certain age and without specific medical problems, namely the extremely low-risk group, to go back to work as usual and then carefully restrict, or if you will, protect the senior citizens and the medically challenged. I strongly doubt if this tactic would even be considered. What are your thoughts on this? Where do we go between the Skylar and Charybdis, between the rock and the hard place? You can text me at 415-TALLY-HO. That's 415-TALLY-HO. Text me and share your thoughts. I'll read some of them online. The New York Times did a survey of 700 epidemiologists and asked them about 23 activities that they have personally done or would have done, if needed, in the last 30 days. The activities range from attending a sporting event, 3% of the epidemiologists would attend a sporting event, meet with someone you don't know well, three percent. Attending a wedding or funeral, four percent. Attending a church or other religious service, four percent. Send your children to indoor play date, four percent. And the list goes on, and the list goes on. And it doesn't really go up in percentages. I'll jump down. 26 percent have vacationed overnight when driving distance. We go up to getting a haircut, 44 percent, saw a doctor for a non-urgent appointment, 62 percent, brought in the mail without precautions, 72 percent, went on errands such as to the grocery or pharmacy, 90 percent. So on the one hand, 90 percent of 700 epidemiologists were willing to go to the grocery store, whereas on the other hand, only 3% are willing to go to a sporting event, go to church, go to a funeral, and many other activities. It's a wide range. I suggest you go to the New York Times and look for the article and compare your own behavior to that of 700 epidemiologists. Well, now for our interview. And remember, you can call or text in during the interview, 650-TALLY-HO. Three, four Methylenedioxide, uh, dioxy, I beg your pardon, methamphetamine, MDMA, was synthesized by the German chemist Anton Kolich in 1912. It was patented by Merck in 1914. The CIA experimented with MDMA as part of Project MK Ultra. You've heard me talk about that on this program where they studied mind control by giving unknowing American subjects various drugs. In the 1970s, therapists around the country began using MDMA, and they called it ADAM because it brought on an innocent mind state, as in Adam and Eve. The first report on the subjective effects of MDMA in humans was published by two scientists, Dr. Sasha Schulgen and Dave Nichols in 1978. My interview with Dave Nichols is on our website. Shulgin went on to become the godfather of ecstasy, and Nichols of Purdue University became the country's preeminent psychedelic scientist. It was a post he kept until retirement when he turned over the mantle to Dr. Nick Cozy of the University of Wisconsin Medical School. Our interview with Dr. Cozy is also on our website, and he appears in my book, Psychedelic Medicine. In the 1980s, MDMA became a party drug, and in 1985, it joined heroin, cocaine, marijuana, and LSD as an illegal substance. Therefore, research ceased at that time, 35 years ago, and it only began again recently, primarily due to the work of Dr. Rick Doblin, You've heard him on this program several times. And MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. MDMA users experience euphoria, surges of energy, sexual arousal, trust, emotional closeness, empathy, as well as spikes in heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature. It is estimated that 17 to 23 million Americans have used MDMA one or more time. Our esteemed guest today, Charlie Wininger, is here to discuss his book, Listening to Ecstasy, The Transformative Power of MDMA, which is available, by the way, on Amazon and on Charlie's website. His website, listeningtoecstasy.com. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Charlie.
1: Thank you, Doctor Miller. It's it's wonderful to be here. And
0: please, uh, since I took the liberty or asked your permission before the program to call you uh, Charlie, please call me Richard. Okay. Uh, um, so, this program just wanted to let you know, Charlie, was is made possible by um, um, the, our producer Charlie Deist, and I always want to give him a little plug before we start. Um, we're going to be talking about your book and. As I mentioned to you, actually, before the program, I thought it would be great for our listeners to hear what you write about in your book, the actual reasons that you wrote the book. So, kindly begin with that.
1: Sure. Uh, this is uh, from the prologue of my book. i um, be happy to, uh, to uh, give this reading right now. I wrote this book for several reasons. To testify about my personal discovery that MDMA can be a life-enhancing experience across the adult lifespan. And I'm giving a little wink here to my fellow boomers. To set the record straight about how to use MDMA and how not to, and to acknowledge that it's not for everyone. To legitimize happiness-inducing experiences as potentially transformative and valid in their own right. To tell the story of my life and marriage, and how by sheer serendipity, the two of us happened upon a nascent, vibrant cultural renaissance, underway just beneath the media radar, and spearheaded by millennials. And how we got to hobnob with the local psychedelarati. To declare myself done with hiding in the chemical closet for fear of being shamed or stigmatized, and to help others do the same, because I know there are so many of us. Hiding, the difference between the face I show the world and who I really am, has simply become too burdensome for me. I've heard some say, in relation to my drug use, aren't you a little old for that? This made me consider whether I should, at this age, be concerned about how others might judge me. If anything, I'm too old for that. This is one way aging has freed me. And finally, I've written this book out of the the longing for people to see what I've seen and to hear what MDMA has to say. To show people the land promised to us all to give them hope in this time of hatred and chaos. I want them to know there is, however out there it appears, a way home, one we can all have now if we but find the gumption to claim it in the name of each other, our children, and of all living beings today and especially tomorrow. Thank you, Charlie. Now, let's take
0: you up on the reasons you wrote the book, hmm. you begin to testify about your personal discovery that MDMA can be a life-enhancing experience across the life span. Yes. Okay, go ahead, testify <laughs> to our listeners.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I could talk all day of, uh, about. Well, this. we'll give you some time. Please do. Um, I didn't really. Uh, get into using MDMA in any serious way until I met my second wife, Shelly, 20 years ago. Uh, I had given up on it. I thought it was um, not useful because I didn't know at the time uh, about the protocols, which I now outline in the book. Uh, There's a guide to safe use in the book. Uh, But I didn't know about hydration, and uh, I only did it alone. And I didn't know about the other uh, ways of reducing the harm and and maximizing the benefits. So I'd given up on it. But Shelly was just out of a repressed marriage and wanted to spread her wings. She was 49 at the time. I was 51. This is 20 years ago. And she told me she wanted to try ecstasy, which is what MDMA was called at the time. And so, um, I she uh, knew about my uh, psychedelic exploration, so I decided to uh, to go out and find some for her, and I found uh, some pure MDMA, which is the only kind we have ever done—only pure MDMA. And that first time uh, that uh, we both came on, uh, it, it both uh, hit us. Uh, we were in the right place. We paid attention to set and setting, and. Uh, our mindset, our intentions going in and setting around us. And she looked to me like she was waking up from a long sleep. Uh, She looked to me like just the picture of bliss and serenity. And in turning her on to MDMA, it turned me back on to it. And I realized how to use it right. And I realized that, gee, this is great, a great way for Shelley and I to bond uh, and uh, we started doing it about the average about four or five times a year over the past twenty years, and it's a little less than twenty years. So actually, we've done it a total of about seventy times now, and um, uh, and so it's helped us navigate. To answer your question, it helped us navigate our way from middle age into senior age, and. We found that it can be uh, life enhancing. It's life enhancing because it gives us this periodic chemical helicopter ride that lasts about four, six or six hours or so over our lives uh, to look out at where we've been, where we are now, envision where we might want to go, its perspective for four to six hours. And it's also this lift of a ri- of, 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 of aliveness, uh, this feeling of like the sun itself is is rising in our hearts uh, and imbues our relationship with a whole other layer of depth and intimacy and joy. And <laughs> as I write in the book, like who knew one could age hedonistically and we, we, we only use it responsibly. Like I say, we only use uh, um, pure MDMA. We make sure we have a scale that we weigh it accurately. Uh, we have the right setting around us, the right mindset going in. Uh, we don't abuse it, but we do use it uh, recreationally. And we found that fun and joy and play Can be not only life-enhancing, but transformational experiences uh, as one ages. And um, this was a revelation to to me. I never knew that life could keep getting better uh, in in, in this way. It's like uh, we already, Shelley and I already had a good relationship. We already had the cake, but this was the icing on the cake.
0: Charlie, you have mentioned so many uh, important things, um, not the least of which is your age. uh, Because you're a a professional, uh, well-known in New York City. I believe you've been written up uh, in the newspapers in New York City as the love doctor. uh, Mm -hmm. That was probably 20 or 30 years ago. Uh,
1: 15, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: 15. So you Mm -hmm. were already known way back then. And now uh, here you are uh, coming out uh, testifying, as you will, and you use the word, uh, it starts right out, to testify about my personal experience, which you've just done, testifying about personal experience with an illegal substance that's been illegal for the last 35 years. Yes. And as I mentioned to you before the program, I have been requesting that uh, professionals, senior citizens come out and tell the truth about their own use, because you and I both know professionals all around the country who have used this uh, medicine uh, for decades and have been sub rosa about it for fear of getting in trouble or being stigmatized. And here now you come out with a whole book about your personal experience. To begin with, I tip my hat to you for having (laughs) the courage to do it. But as we also said before the show, at this age, what do we have to lose, right? Right. Now, a couple of things you mentioned that I want to highlight. You mentioned uh, quickly set and setting, um, which, of course, we we professionals know about. And Jim Fadiman has written about quite a bit in his book, uh, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. And we've had him on this program. We're talking about it. I want you to talk a little bit about how you and your wife uh, address set and setting so our listeners know what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Um... Uh, I'm happy to talk about this because it is so important uh, for any psychedelic experience. And I do consider uh, MDMA to be a psychedelic, although it's not a hallucinogen Uh, set means one's mindset going into the experience. One's frame of mind, one's expectations. Uh, And uh, so Shelly and I will only, we never do this spontaneously whenever like sitting around on a Saturday night and, uh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, let's let's roll on MDMA. No, it's never like that. We always plan it ahead. Uh, either if we're doing it just together, or we're doing it with uh, certain select group of friends. We always plan it ahead, often around a uh, an event uh, like <laughs> like the next event will be New Year's Eve. It would just be her and I, um, or a group experience. Uh, or uh, a music festival, uh, but we we'll always plan it and we always know what our intention is. These days, it's really to connect, uh, for, for, for us to connect with each other on a deep level, maybe do something envisioning for our uh, future uh, and to connect with the people around us. And then there's setting, the surroundings, the environment. Uh, that uh, one does this in it 's best to do it, especially if one hasn 't done it before you need to do it at home um, or if you 're going to do it with uh, somebody sitting for you who 's a professional sitter, you need to do it in their in their space, but a place that is protected where there are going to be no interruptions, especially the first or second time uh, so where you can feel completely safe because it 's a novel experience. And uh, you want to be in control of your environment. Now, these days, after Shelly and I have done it so many times, we know how to be outdoors and do this uh, because it's it's very user friendly. It's not a hallucinogen, so we can be outdoors, and people might just think we're having a, a nice day. Um, uh, we can do it in a festival, music festival, and have a have a blast. Actually um uh, dancing and and uh, and uh, playing you know just be, hanging out with our friends uh, because we know the inner territory we know we know how to uh, to deal with the chemical changes inside of us and how to ride that wave in a very happy way so, my answering your question
0: yes Charlie you you've and you, you give plenty of uh, room for me to to uh, ask your questions to elaborate and I appreciate it you crossed a boundary here you you have crossed over from uh, medicinal use, psychotherapeutic use, communication skills use, relationship yes. use yes. to recreational use yes and and uh, and that's uh, that's a big boundary to cross. And, uh, I'd like you to talk more about, uh, if and when other people might also cross that boundary. How much experience should they have with this before they do cross that boundary? And whether or not people mm-hmm. listening are wondering, can I do this alone if I'm going to a party or should I have a certain amount of use of it as a, as a, as a medicine prior to go to, to, uh, Going alone or with someone? Mm. So please uh, elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, good, good, good question. Uh, I, um, uh, I would not recommend. First of all, I would not recommend doing it alone the first time. You want somebody there. If it's not a professional who's sitting for you, then you want a friend or family member who you trust, who knows what you're doing, and who's going to be there with you and for you during the first time. Um, so. You don't want to just drop some MDMA and go to a party the first time because you need to you, you need to be familiar with the territory, the the you know how to negotiate the territory inside. Um, so, um, uh, so th- th- that's definitely true the first time. But your the heart of your question is what is 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 when to do it and when not to.
0: Well, it's partially. I mean, you say the first time but you have many times under your belt and, uh, yes. you're, a, and you're a professional therapist with right. many years of therapy experience. You've probably yes. had years of personal therapy yourself. Many, you bring yes. a whole different being to the uh, to the experiment, if you will. And listeners may not bring all that. They may have yes. one of thousands of other occupations uh, where they didn't uh, do the study that you did of the mind and of consciousness and so I think they can't help but wonder you know how many times should I have a uh, a pilot sitting next to me when I'm flying this plane before I go solo
1: well, uh, you may never want to go solo, meaning you may ah. never want to do it when no one around you is doing it because it's uh, the type of chemical, uh, where, or I prefer the term medicine, that encourages, urges you to speak to others and connect with others. And it's best to connect with others in the same frame of mind. So it's it's it, I, I wouldn't want to do this solo, although some people do um but yes it is a medicine that can be used for healing uh as you mentioned before uh Rick Doblin's map studies are using it to heal people with PTSD to great effect so much so that uh it's on route to becoming a prescription medication by 2023 which is of course going to change the entire landscape around the use of MDMA uh, and uh, it's it's a very versatile chemical, so you can use it to heal PTSD, or on the other end of the spectrum, you can use it to rave the night through with a thousand other people dancing in wild abandon. I like to talk about the middle way between the two, which is responsible recreational use, where you're doing it quietly with a partner or with friends, especially the first few times uh, for... Your own uh, uh, knowledge. Uh, that's why I call the, the book Listening to Ecstasy, because it has a lot to teach. Uh, and you can learn just from speaking with others who are, who are there with you and uh, learn how to relate on a, on a, on a deeper level. And uh, this is what I call serious fun. It's responsible recreational use where you have the protocols in place. You know how to stay hydrated through through the time, even though you're not going to feel thirsty, but it's important to hydrate. Uh, it's important to uh, get a very good night's sleep that night. Uh, it's better to do it if you're working Monday to Friday. It's better to, to do it on a Saturday, not a Sunday where you have to go to work the next day. You want the next day to recuperate so these are all guidelines that are important to follow uh, but if you do uh, you can have a very fun happy and pleasurable time uh, if uh, if you know what you're doing and, um, and it can uh, teach you a lot about how to live. It's taught me a lot about how to live. I should be really making eye statements here instead of telling everyone what what's going to happen for them this book is really a personal testimony about what it's done for me and for shelly and for the people in our lives uh it's it's really improved my life in many ways and yes i've used it to dance the night away um and yes i've used it for some healing sessions but mostly i use it for serious fun
0: Would you comment, uh, this is from a uh, a listener, Uh, it's actually from Dr. Nick Cozy, who I mentioned earlier in my introduction. He's asking you to comment on the use of an SSRI uh, near the end of an MDMA session to reduce serotonin depletion.
1: Hmm. I am not sure... About the uh, about that, I've not heard much about that. To be honest with you, so I don't know. Uh, I do know that somebody who's being treated with an SSRI for depression needs to wean themselves off of the SSRI to feel MDMA. And of course, you should not do so without the guidance of the doctor who put you on the SSRI. You don't want to just stop doing it on your own. Uh, because that that, that could have uh, bad uh, implications for for your mood. Uh, We also uh, have
0: a question, Charlie, about frequency of use. Uh, Anne Shulgin, uh, Sasha's widow, uh, has recommended using it at most uh, uh, four times a year, every three months. Um, Hmm. Do you have any comment on that?
1: That's what works for us uh, four or five times a year, especially at our age. Uh, if I was younger, I'd be doing it. I mean, if I was 50 or 30, I'd be probably doing it once a month because I could. Uh, but what? at this age, uh, it. it um, if I did it now and then, then I did it a month from now and then the following month, uh, it would have diminishing returns uh, diminishing effects for me, and it would take longer for me to recuperate. The older we are, the more sensitive we are to all drugs and so that 's why i lo- i, I don 't need a full one hundred and twenty milligram dose at this age. Uh, I actually found out that that would be too that 's too much for me hundred milligrams is too much for me. I now use 65 milligrams, and Shelley uses 100, uh, and um, it's a wonderful experience for me. Uh, but uh, frequency of use is is an important issue, and it's a type of experience that's so wonderful you want to do it again and again. It's not exactly addictive, but it it, it can be a type of thing where when you're coming down, you feel a little sad, <laughs> like oh, I want to be here more, I want to be here again, and that's not going to work you need to replenish your body respect the power of the medicine and respect your body and its ability to replenish itself which takes time
0: have you run into people i've run into people around the country who have uh, used it every single week for years couples particularly only couples as a matter of fact that i know of have you run into some of those folks and uh, what have you heard from them
1: uh, that you it every week for years? Correct. Um, no, uh, but if a couple told me this, uh, they'd see me uh, raise my eyebrows in alarm. Um, I, I can't argue with somebody else's experience. Yeah. Uh, but I would never recommend that to people.
0: What are the downsides of uh, MDMA? Hmm. as a a medicine and what are the downsides as a recreational drug
1: well uh, one of the downsides i just mentioned that it can be uh, uh something that you want to do again and uh the more often you do it i think the less impactful it's gonna it's gonna be uh the important part about mdma the experience with MDMA as with any psychedelic medicine is not the experience itself so much as what happens afterwards, the integration of the experience. And so it can be a downside if you do not integrate the experience. And what I mean by that is learning how to weave what you've learned into your life uh, by the use of psychotherapy. Uh, It's great to, to for example, to, uh, um, to schedule a, a psychotherapy session a couple of days after the MDMA session, um, uh, it's 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 great to um, uh, to to learn how to how to integrate this into your life to turn these states into personality traits. Uh, and if you don't do that, if you don't learn what MDMA is teaching you, that can be a downside. Then it's just a, um, a happy pleasure um, that can feel like an end unto itself. And MDMA is not the destination; it's the door to and a gateway to a whole way of living that can be useful for you. So uh, there's a big downside if you don't integrate the experience and if you do it too often um so yeah that's the main major thing that comes to my mind right now
0: we have a question uh, uh someone just uh, sent in uh, charlie um my first time and second experiences left me with my jaw clenching which was concerning the heart opening experience with my beloved was beautiful Can you help me with the jaw clenching and why it happened? This is from someone in Grass Valley, California.
1: Yes. um, Thank you for your question. Uh, You might want to check the dosage. Uh, If you're doing, for example, the standard dose of 120 and your jaw is clenching, it's your body's way of saying you're doing a little too much. So next time I would do... 90 milligrams or 100 milligrams and just experiment from time to time and see where that you, you can still get the heart opening effect without the neurotoxicity, which is joint clenching or sometimes nystagmus in the eyes where the eyes go blah, 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 like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're breathing like <sighs> like that. It's not dangerous, but it's, it's the medicine's way of telling you you've done plenty so I think you do a little less.
0: Yeah, I think Rick Doblin, I, I remember him telling me that uh, he has some uh, research indications that some people uh, do actually better on 75 milligrams than they do on 125 milligrams. Yes. And you have to find out, uh, you know, individually uh, uh, where you are on that. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's move on now to uh something else that you said here oh well you actually we're, we're talking a little bit about negative effects and on page 63 uh you start with red flags so oh, if you mm-hmm. if you'll turn to page 63 in your book okay. and let's have you go over some of the red flags so listeners they they have to be thinking you know which of us should not take this who has right. to be really careful so right, please okay. Please tell them who needs to be really careful.
1: Thank you. Um, If you suffer from heart disease, uh, if you're pregnant, if you have epilepsy uh, or suffer from hepatitis, for example, uh, you should not do MDMA. If you have immune system issues like chronic fatigue syndrome uh, I've heard of one case, of, uh, of, of at least one case, where this can trigger a uh, an episode of chronic fatigue. So you should not do MDMA if you suffer from bipolar disorder um, or have a family history uh, of bipolar disorder. Um, and, 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 MDMA could possibly result in a manic episode, uh, not really caused by MDMA, but revealed. Uh, it, it MDMA, the use of MDMA could reveal that you are bipolar. So, you, if you are bipolar or have that in your family, you need to be very wary of using MDMA. Let me
0: let me stop you on that one, Charlie. Please, uh, revealed sounds like something. Worthwhile to have happen, but it, you're but you're saying red flagging a, a bipolar or having a predisposition towards it. You're red flagging it. Yes. Why, why would a person with bipolar or not knowing they have bipolar? Why would they not want it to be revealed? Isn't part of what a medicine does is reveal to us? Material that we can't get to ordinarily, and it facilitates our growth that way.
1: Well, this is different from having a bad trip, which of, uh, as uh, I believe Richard, you understand, and and, and uh, we, we know in the psychedelic community, uh, there's no such thing as a bad trip. That's right. We call it a difficult experience that can be wor- that can bring up uh, personal psychological material that we can then work with and integrate. But in this case. Uh, A manic episode is a medical episode that is very um, dangerous. It's good to know if you have bipolar disorder, of course, um, but it's not a a good way to find that out, Um, and I I would not recommend one find it out in in that way.
0: So, what Uh, you you're
1: saying?
0: You're using the word "revealed." Not to mean uncovered, but it expresses itself as an episode.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. That,
0: that that was important to clarify. Okay. Have, yes. have, do you also have information that people with a predisposition towards bipolar, it, it, rather than getting manic, go into a deep depression?
1: Uh, I don't have that information, but there is something known as the Tuesday Blues, uh, which is what happens uh, a few days after you do MDMA, where you can your mood can take a dive. Uh, and uh, I need to assert uh, that it's never been my experience in over 70 roles. Uh, and or, or Shelley's, or many of our friends, but some of our friends do suffer from the Tuesday Blues afterwards, yeah. And uh, it can be mitigated by um, uh, by getting enough sleep, uh, by doing a, an over the counter uh supplement called 5 HTP, which um, which you can do the next couple of days, which uh, helps you replace the serotonin that gets lost. Um, so, um, but, uh, I have not heard it's, um, triggering a depressive episode, but I'm sure that's possible.
0: Yes. Yes. Let's go on with the last two, Uh, persistent Mm -hmm. suicidal, take it from there,
1: please. Yes. If you have persistent suicidal or homicidal ideas or prone towards schizophrenia, paranoia, or similar mental instabilities, you should not do MDMA. Um, and also, if you suffer from ADD or ADHD, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, uh, and, be, and, and you're being treated with amphetamine, um, which if you have ADD, amphetamine has a, a very focusing and calming effect on you, uh, you cannot do MDMA unless you forego the use of amphetamine that day. Uh, because MDMA is also a kind of amphetamine, and you don't want to do them both at the same time.
0: Thank you for these red flag warnings. Uh, these are important, uh, Charlie. Um, I'm interested in why you called the book uh, "Listening to Ecstasy," which is a uh, a street name, rather than "Listening to MDMA," which is the medicinal name.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, first of all, it was partly a marketing decision. Um, Listening to ecstasy just sounds like a better title than listening to ecstasy. Listening to MDMA, Um, and people, of course, uh, relate uh, uh, ecstasy to to MDMA, Uh, and it's also because it's really listening to having an ecstatic experience and uh, what that can teach you. It's taught me over and over again uh, that being in that ecstatic blissful state and still being completely in control and uh, being able to uh, walk down the street and have conversations and all that um, can be transformative and has helped me view life in a different way from a more positive, upbeat, and optimistic point of view. And let me tell you, Richard, 2020, we all know what kind of year this has been. It's been um, terribly challenging for all of us in so many ways. Uh, And MDMA has really helped me get through this year with a sense of perspective and optimism.
0: Well, one of the things that you uh, mentioned uh, that I'd like us to discuss further. Uh, you, you said that uh, the material that you and uh, your wife, Shelley, use um, is pure. And listeners are saying, scratching their heads, you know, and they're saying, well, th- this guy is a professional and he's in uh, the Big Apple in New York, and uh, evidently he has access to pure. But when I, uh, when I go on the Google and look at, you know at information it says that hardly any of the ecstasy that's tested around the united states is ecstasy it's all kinds of other stuff mm-hmm. in fact the the more you dig into that research the more it looks like it's rare to to be able to go out and buy what's called ecstasy and get ecstasy mm-hmm. so that's one of the issues with advocating for the for the importance of something that's illegal, which is the public can't get it. And then they're subject to getting who knows what. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you're comfortable telling us, I not, of course, not your source, but what would, is there some recommendation you might make? Like, how do you get pure? Or do you have, can you recommend a place where people can send in a little of what they get and find out what it is?
1: Well, let me start with that. There's an organiza- organization called Dancesafe.org, just like the, just like it sounds. Dance.
0: Say it again, Charlie. We got to say that a lot.
1: Dancesafe.org, uh, and this is a, a wonderful nonprofit online where you can send away for a a legal, not expensive, testing kit which uh, we use every time uh, we have bought MDMA uh, and to make sure that it's pure. And if it's not pure, we will not buy it. We will not use it. Uh, it's true. There's a lot of adulterated MDMA out there. It could be cut with amphetamine. It could be cut with caffeine. It could be cut with uh, dangerous substances. And unless it's pure, you can't, you, mu- you mustn't do it. Uh, and, As far as how to obtain it, I I, I would tell you if I could, uh, but uh, I'd be breaking the law if I did. Um, And you need to understand, dear listener, that uh, it is illegal uh, and that there's legal risk uh, in trying to obtain it. But I will tell you that if you know anyone in the burner community, uh, people who go to Burning Man or people who go to uh, music festivals often, or EDM festivals, electronic dance music festivals, where they dance the night away. This is somebody who may know somebody who may have access to pure MDMA.
0: I want to underline something you said that's critical. And correct me if I'm in the slightest off here. I believe you said that when you and your wife Purchase MDMA you always have it tested before you use it. is that correct
1: absolutely
0: absolutely listeners that that is one of the most important things that you to, to hear on this entire broadcast There's a lot of important material here, but that one we've got to underline in red 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 yes Charlie yes, yes. Reninger who wrote this Reninger wrote this book, listening to ecstasy. Here it is for you to see on the screen. You can get it from Amazon. Uh, he's saying that when he purchases this substance before he and his wife use it, they have it tested. He evidently sends it to this place called DanceSafe.org. Uh,
1: you can send it, but no. Um, what we do is... Oh, actually, you get a actually, test kit. We have a test kit. Yes, yes we, we, we bring me. it with us uh, yeah. to uh, to our source.
0: Yeah. Oh, you bring it with you to the source. Absolutely. Even and better. Why even purchase it? That's right. You've got an even better method. You bring it. Yep. That's, that's 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 really terrific. That's, that's right.
1: And if our source didn't want us to test it, we'd get a different source.
0: Charlie, I'd like to refer you now to page 74 on your book or in your book.
1: Mm-hmm. And the uh, chapter called Higher Education.
0: Yes. And here you you talk about, uh, and I'll quote, I can well appreciate people's fundamental objections to having such experiences. And many of them have shared with me their uh, objections. So I would like you please to do it in your own way, whether you want to read the whole list of objections and then your responses, or whether you'd like to take one objection at a time and, and read your uh, your response. I think it might be better the second way. Uh,
1: okay. Um, uh, well, yes, I listed common objections to using substances like MDMA that I've heard personally over time when I've spoken enthusiastically to friends or family members about this. And I've Come up with my responses to this. this is it very personal? This is it just my own responses? So one, one objection is, I don't need it. I'm happy with my life. My response is, I'm happy with my life as well. MDMA has made me happier. Another person has said, frankly, I'm afraid I'd like it too much. My response is, I've learned how to control and moderate my usage and avoid the potential pitfalls. It's a matter of educating oneself. Another person said, I did that all back in college. It was was great at the time. And they have much to say to me now, they meaning these substances and substances like MDMA have much to say to me now that I wasn't ready to hear when I was younger. You know, I, I liken this to uh, a novel that you might have read when you were 20 years old. And 30 years or 40 years later, you read the book, again, you you read the novel again, bringing your whole lived experience to it. And it's a whole different book. Uh, another objection I've heard, I'm afraid I'd lose control. My response is following the guidelines helps me remain in control of my experience. Um, another objection is, it's illegal. I could get busted. My response is, it's true. One could conceivably go to jail for carrying a capsule of MDMA. I myself am careful not to carry it with me, and I don't keep it in the house. Uh, and uh, another Uh, objection i've heard and this is a little different uh god jesus or allah or buddha said don't do it my personal response to that is that and this might not apply to anyone else but this is my response mdma and psychedelics have enhanced my appreciation of the divine and my connection to everyone and everything they've increased my love of and protective feelings towards the good Lord's creation, and have strengthened my compassion and determination to treat others as I would like to be treated.
0: That uh, was beautifully said. Thank you. On, uh, I'm going to move move us in a, a slightly uh, a different direction here, Charlie. Uh, but before I do, there was something else I thought of, and that is. People uh, are known to mix other medicines with MDMA. Yes. Do you care to comment on that, or do you want to just stay focused on MDMA use uh, by itself?
1: Uh, No, I'm I'm happy to comment on that. Uh, Certainly for the novice, I would suggest not to. You want to stay with pure MDMA for your first experience. Uh, You can also get into trouble by uh, mixing it with alcohol, although some people do this, uh, especially at festivals and the like, um, but it can be dangerous to do so. Um, And and certainly people have mixed it, uh, done MDMA and then done other psychedelics on top of that. Unless you're very experienced uh, with all that territory, uh, you, you shouldn't do it. The only other medicine that... Uh, Shelly and I like to do when we're doing MDMA is cannabis uh, and we do that at the tail end of the experience because if we do it in the middle of the experience it's like I'm talking and we're having a conversation and like um, uh, what, what was I just saying it's like that uh, we lose our train of thought because the mixture of MDMA and, and marijuana is like it, it throws us off uh, so we can't converse too well, but towards the end of the experience um when we want to shift it over to a more sexual experience, which we like to do at the end of a role, we will smoke some cannabis, some sativa uh and uh and and go to bed and the The combination I like to call sextasy because it's uh a, a, an incredibly blissful way to uh to have uh, to 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 end an MDMA role, and it it leads me to that um, uh, phrase I used before when I said who knew one could age hedonistically.
0: So tell us some more. Can you elaborate a bit more on the uh, on the use of MDMA? Maybe combined with marijuana, maybe not, uh, for uh, sexual for enhanced sexual experience.
1: Oh sure, um, I'll talk all day about it. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's Take an enjoyable your time. topic. People, it's an enjoyable topic. Well, people well, well, um, want to know. Uh, MDMA uh, is really—it's uh, by itself—it's not a sexual drug, although some do like to make love on just pure MDMA. It, um, it's more of a sensual drug than a sexual. It, it heightens uh, the experience of of uh, of touch um but for men in particular uh, we can find it difficult to get or maintain an erection on mdma um so making love to somebody might be very pleasurable but it might be hard to uh to maintain an erection i'll be very i'm very open about uh, my own medicinal use so i use uh, some uh, medication at the time uh, at the end of an MDMA experience like Cialis, uh, that that will help me through that. And uh, and I'll need to smoke enough in order to achieve orgasm uh, because uh, otherwise, even if I can maintain an erection and make love, I'm not going to be able to, to come uh, unless the MDMA is really leaving my body uh, and or the uh the cannabis is is uh is, is is smoked and there's more cannabis and that can help me uh climax but you
0: you you are saying that the mdma alone uh the mdma combined with the marijuana uh, significantly enhances uh the sexual experience oh absolutely yes for, b- um, for both sexes for yourself and for your wife
1: well, Shelly could speak for herself, but yeah. right now she—you would just look at—if she were here, you'd just see the look on her face when she remembers these experiences. Uh, she's um, in in heaven doing those experiences.
0: Now, w- would you say using uh, the MDMA and the marijuana uh, combined is is sort of for a- advanced uh, use? You know, after you've uh, Used it in the beginning. You're saying use it with a guide. Use it with professional help. Uh, learn how to navigate. the The way I'm hearing that, Charlie, from you is I'm likening it to uh, when I took uh, flying lessons, and hmm. for quite a while there was always a uh, an advanced person in the plane with me who was the teacher, hmm. and and he was at the controls, and then I slowly took over the controls over time. Until eventually one day he said, Okay, you can take the plane up alone. Right. And I did. Is it something similar to that?
1: No, because it's not as dangerous as what you're talking oh, about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Um, so if you follow the guidelines, uh, you, 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 the chances are you're not going to lose control and crash. Uh, but. Um, uh, the first time, yes, you, you should have a guide, preferably a professional guide, uh, but um, if, you're, if you have the right setting, meaning you're in control of your environment, you're at your house, you're not going to be interrupted uh, by unruly roommates or, or, uh, or anything else or any business that you need to uh, attend to. Uh, then to smoke some at the end of of the experience uh, might be an interesting experiment.
0: Now, unfortunately, neither you or I can talk about what I consider to be the the primary benefit of uh, of MDMA, which is psychotherapeutically. Uh, Mm. I'm not meaning to diminish... The, you know the pleasures that you've talked about you using it recreationally but my vocation in my life anyway comes before my fun maybe it shouldn't but that's how I've been trained yes, and so yes. and but we but we, you and I can't really talk about uh, much about the use of it psychotherapeutically but what you can share with us is the effects that you know about that it has on defenses, on emotional openness, on yes. empathy, so please comment on that for us.
1: Yes, I don't do uh, MDMA sessions. Uh, I, I only do sessions where both of us are, are sober. Um, though I help people integrate uh, their sessions afterwards. Um, but I will um, uh, I, I will say it's it's made me a better therapist because it's made me more empathetic over time. Uh, And if I could do sessions, and I look forward to the day I can do sessions with individuals uh, or especially couples using MDMA, uh, I could do six or 12 months worth of work in a day Uh, because what happens is... Your, your body is flooded with your own serotonin and oxytocin. You have this enormous feeling of safety and well-being. Uh, and so the, uh, the ego boundaries get softened a little temporarily. Uh, and your defenses come down. Your heart opens. And you feel safe enough to talk and reveal uh, and share uh, your deepest Thoughts, your 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 deepest fears, uh, uh, traumas can can emerge, and you can talk about those. Um, It's 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 great for trauma work. Um, uh, As uh, one person who's uh, probably the most experienced underground sitter in 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 New York, um, uh, who helps people go through trauma. Uh, healing their traumas with MDMA. He says they liken it to watching a shark, the shark being the, the trauma, watching a shark in a tank. So you get close to the trauma, it emerges, You can, but you can watch it, you're safe. You're no longer spooked by it. You're no longer scared to death about it. And you can watch it and relive it without being Uh, overwhelmed by it. And this, they've found, especially in the clinical studies, can help one shift their relationship to the trauma so that, the way I would put it is, so that from then on, they have the trauma instead of the trauma having them. Uh, And that's the beginning of healing and the beginning of the end of post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: I heard you say And I want to preface it, actually, before I say what I heard you say. I just heard a man who's 75 years old, who is a well-respected therapist in New York City, who's been practicing for decades. And we clearly heard him say on this program that if he were allowed to use MDMA in psychotherapy, he could accomplish as much in a session as it might ordinarily take. In nine to twelve months. Did
1: I hear it correctly? Well, <laughs> I'm 71, so by the time I'm seventy-five, <laughs> it will be legal, and I might be able to do just that. And I beg yes, your pardon,
0: I didn't mean to age you.
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm proud of my age. Um and
0: uh Well I um, said 75, so I added some, and that's what yeah, I meant.
1: No, I'm I'm uh, if I was mistaken for 75, I would not take it as an insult. Uh I'm I'm proud of uh, all my years. And uh but uh yes, uh uh, i I look forward to that day because uh it can cut through a lot of bs and uh uh in the in the psychotherapeutic process and speed things along
0: uh a listener just called in and said please restate the name of the testing kit it's dancesafe.org. dot dancesafe.org yes. uh our guest and if says you go on
1: this site yes if you go on the site uh you'll see. The dance the the, uh, the, uh, the 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 testing kits so you have a choice of various testing kits according to which drug you're testing for
0: uh, here's somebody from uh, San Diego will in San Diego California Charlie he's asking for you to differentiate not sure I understand this I think I do uh, while on MDMA, can you differentiate between male orgasm and male? Ejaculation are they I guess he's asking, are they both diminished or one or the other, or can you comment on that?
1: It's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the pleasure of orgasm uh, that comes with uh, immediately followed by ejaculation so i'm I'm talking about both of them together.
0: okay. Uh, if, listener, if you've heard that, if you've got another question,
1: please uh, uh, just. Uh, so, in, so, in other words, let me say that if if this listener is into tantra, uh, where there's a tantric practice, of course, where you uh, where the man achieves orgasm without ejaculating. <clears throat> excuse me, that's a different story, and I uh, I don't practice that, so I don't I don't know the answer to that.
0: Yes. Uh, if you have more uh, questions, remember 650-Tally-Ho. Very easy to remember. 650-Tally-Ho. Text us or call in. Uh, Charlie, I'd like you now to please turn to page uh, 154 uh, in your book. By the way, when I keep referring to the book, here it is, listening to ecstasy, listening to ecstasy. All right. You have uh, chosen, uh, uh, Charlie, to put in the uh, Ten Principles of Burning Man Mm -hmm. in your book. Yes. So, first of all, please tell us why you put the principles of Burning Man in your book. And then, secondly, I'd like you to review the question, the, uh, the statements, and tell us if you think they're appropriate for daily life as well as appropriate to a Burning Man event?
1: What a wonderful question. Um, This is within the chapter uh, I call Finding the Others in the Wild East, um, where there's a section on text. Philadelphia Experiment's summer festival that was going on for a while. Shelley and I went to five of them. It's called A Regional Burn. It's it's the same ethic as Burning Man, uh, but it was a smaller rendition of it and much more physically uh, comfortable and less challenging. Actually. Fewer
0: than eighty thousand people. In other words, that's
1: right. This was one thousand people. Quite a difference. Uh, and but at PEX, so they use the same principles of of, of Burning Man. And um, it, I, you want me to read through these, and um, or, well, or just briefly read through them, and uh, and say whether these would be good, good guidelines to to live by.
0: You put them in your book. You made them important.
1: I sure did.
0: So they Uh, must have a lot of meaning to you personally. I I don't think you just listed them for people that are going to Burning Man. So I'm assuming you have some other uh, positions on them.
1: Well, uh, you're right. And I'll read these very quickly. And uh, you, the listener, can judge about whether you think this would be a good way to live and a good world to live in. Number one, radical inclusion, including anyone into the experience, being open to diverse populations of people. Number two, gifting, uh, the act of gift-giving, uh, and, and, and the value of a gift is unconditional. You don't give in order to receive, you give to give. Number three, de-commodification, uh, to preserve the spirit of gifting. Uh, the community seeks to create social environments that are mediated uh, by, um, uh, by, the, the, by, <laughs> by commercial sponsorships, transactions, or advertising. In other words, um, to not have any of that. We stand ready to protect our culture from such exploitation um, and keeping money out of the experience. Number four, radical self-reliance. Burning Man encourages the individual to discover, exercise, and rely on his or her inner resources. Number five, radical self-expression, which means just that. that. Being able and willing to express yourself freely and completely. Completely in any way that you see fit, as long as it causes no harm to others. Number six, communal effort, uh, which is uh, the community values that uh, a community that that values creative cooperation and collaboration. Um, And boy, do we need that in our lives now. I sure need it in my life and make sure that I have uh effort do things that bring in the community together, uh, especially at this time of uh, quarantine and lockdown and isolation. That's why uh, uh, Zoom is, is so uh, useful to me. Uh, number seven, civic responsibility. We value civil society. Community members who organize events should assume responsibility for public well-be- welfare and endeavor to communicate civic responsibilities to participants. Number eight, leave no trace. This is just, this is just simple uh, environmentalism. Uh Uh, 80,000 people go into the desert in Black Rock City uh, out in the desert every year and when they're done and they go home there is no trace left behind it's like they weren't even there Uh, they pick up after themselves it's just being responsible number eight perhaps most important participation our community is committed to a radically participatory ethic which means No spectators. Uh, We live in a society where we spectate. We're watching people on screens all day long and passively watching what they do and how they do it. And that leaves us out of the equation. It can have a bad effect on us and on on our feelings of empowerment and our feelings of uh, aliveness. So participation is a fundamental principle. And last but not least, immediacy. Immediate experience is in many ways the most important touchstone of value in our culture. We seek to overcome barriers that stand between us and a recognition of our inner selves, the reality of those around us, participation in in society, and contact with a natural world exceeding human powers. No idea can substitute for this experience. So those are the ten principles of Burning Man, and if one wants to radically realter, and reimagine and re envision society, I say this is a good place to start.
0: That's a good place to start, and it's a good place to conclude our interview. Though I do want to underline one thing here and say that these ten principles of Burning Man can be found on page one fifty four of Charlie's book. Listening to Ecstasy, I'm sure if you go to Google and type in the principles of Burning Man, you'll find the 10 as well. There is one principle, Charlie, that uh, uh, that I add to those 10. Uh, I've been in conversation with uh, Colette Crispin, who's been doing some wonderful work for the Burning Man organization, and I took the liberty of suggesting that they include radical kindness. Mm. I would like to see radical kindness included because... Mm-hmm. Because I I believe that if we practice that with one another, and not just during COVID, but during ordinary times as well, uh, all of us will, will uh, have a more graceful life.
1: Amen to that.
0: Thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Uh, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again sometime in the future uh, when you have more uh, experiences. (laughs) as we both get older and uh, and want to reveal even more. And uh, thank you all for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health and Politics. With special thanks again to my producer, Charlie Deist, who who makes this broadcast possible. Uh, The preceding program, Mind, Body, Health and Politics, was brought to you by Wilbur Hot Springs and Thanksgiving Coffee. The autumn season is magnificent at Wilbur Hot Springs. It's a wonderful place to get away and revitalize. I know you'll enjoy taking the waters and hiking in the 1,800-acre nature preserve. At Wilbur, you'll find plenty of lodging options from camping platforms to cozy cabins. Wilbur truly is a sanctuary for the self. Book a visit today at wilburhotsprings.com. And now here on our little J&R farm, where I am in Fort Bragg, California, we are producing some of the world's best organic eggs. This isn't a commercial. We're not selling them. Our J&R farm eggs are so excellent that we are able to trade them for the world's best gourmet coffee made by the Thanksgiving Coffee Company. The th- the founder of Thanksgiving Coffee, Paul Katziff, is a trained social worker and political activist who has improved the lives of millions of coffee growers around the world, and that is not an exaggeration. As an expression of appreciation and support for mind, body, health, and politics, Paul has created three special mind, body, health, and politics coffee blends. Then, Paul doubles down and donates 20% of his internet sales of these three special blends to the COVID response network a nonprofit 501 501c3 protecting citizens from COVID. Go to the Thanksgiving Coffee Company website, buy Mind, Body, Health, and Politics coffee, and support the truth-telling broadcast, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, and the COVID Response Network. Buy them now. Please join me again next Tuesday at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, for our next stimulating broadcast. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for and it is essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.